Hey, welcome back to the Celtics Lab Podcast. I'm Cameron Teftabai, your host, joined by Alex Goldberg and Dr. Justin Quinn, as I always am. We're about a quarter of the way into the season, and it feels about time to take a temperature check on this Celtics team, especially given that the team is about to embark on a very difficult slate of games. So to help us look forward at the next 10 for the Boston Celtics, we bring in the host of the Horford Happy Hour Podcast, Miss Anna Horford. Anna, how are you? I'm great. I'm excited to be back and to chat with you guys for a bit. So thanks for having me. Sure. I wish it was not the next 10 games, but the 10 after, because those are going to be a piece of cake. But the upcoming schedule is just fundamentally brutal. Uh, so we're going to we'll hop in in that in a second, right into the lab. But Alex, I know you have a plug. So right off the top, tell the people what's up. Oh, yeah. You know it. You love it. So if you paid attention to our social media feeds this week, you may have seen that we just wrapped up the latest C-Lab, C-Laboration giveaway or Celtics Laboration, collaboration. I don't know, whatever we're calling it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm fired. That sounds right. Um, uh, We just gave away a brand spanking new gray divine sweater courtesy of the band that you heard at the top, which I am also a member of. Divine Sweater. Yes, that is the name. And uh, if you want to hear more of that kind of music, or if you want to buy a sweater of your own in person, we have two shows coming up very soon, next week, December 5th and December 9th in uh, Somerville. Please follow uh, Divine Sweater on social media. We've got Instagram, we've got Twitter, uh, Spotify, all of that stuff. Follow us on all of those pages. We have links to tickets for all of that stuff. So uh, throw us a follow on Instagram, Twitter, what have you. Buy a ticket, come out and see some fun live music. will be a good, good time. Cool, I'll be there. And uh, Dr. Quinn, how are things in Mexico? Not too shabby. Uh, just got through with a bunch of envy watching of you guys eating some delicious Thanksgiving food as I probably said about a million times in my envy. Uh, we don't do that here, but uh, surely just a pumpkin pie. Yeah, I could take it or leave it with Thanksgiving. Anna, any good um, adult beverages you had over the holiday? I mean, absolutely. Um, just <laughs> the wine the wine um, on my bar did not stand a chance this weekend. Um, yeah, really went for it with the wine. Uh, lots of red blends, some Francis Coppola, some Josh Sellers. So yeah, some good Love stuff. Josh. There. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had a, f- a few happy hours uh, <laughs> over the holiday. All right. Well, we we love your expertise on happy hours and happy hour podcasts, but we're really here to talk about the Celtics. So let's do that, Anna. And everyone else, the next, again, 10 games for the Celtics are going to be really, really difficult, I think. It's kind of a Philly sandwich. And Anna, I know you love Philly. So here's here's what it looks like. It's at home versus Philly, then on the road for Utah, Portland, the Lakers, the Clippers, Phoenix, and then back in Boston for the Bucks, the Warriors, the Knicks, and the Sixers. So uh, we'll kind of get into the minutia of what that might look like. But Anna, I'll go to you first. When you see this on the schedule, what's what do you think the team's reaction is? And then what's your reaction kind of as someone one step removed? So what I'm hoping their reaction is, is, hey, we have like a really tough schedule ahead let's dig our heels in find our rhythm gain some momentum and really like let's see what this team's all about um so 
I'm really excited to see what they do. I'm a bit anxious, of course, especially like playing Philly tomorrow. And then, you know, we play the Bucks on Christmas, which I think me and my siblings are probably going to be there because we live in Michigan. It's a really close um, journey to Milwaukee. So um, I am anxious, but I think that this is the time where this team is going to like truly find its identity, um, get a bit more comfortable and, and just, you know, kind of see what we're made of. Yeah, I, I bet that that's kind of <laughs> the locker room talk, the good kind of locker room talk. Uh, Alex, Justin, you feeling as optimistic? I think there's definitely some room for optimism, particularly in the fact that the Celtics defense has really been stepping up a lot lately. And uh, the big one for me is that the Celtics are fingers crossed, knock on wood, heading into tomorrow, potentially fully healthy with a fully healthy roster for the first time in what seems like an eon. So we've got Robert Williams coming back, Jalen Brown, hopefully he's listed as questionable, but he's played the last few games. So hopefully he'll be back out there. Dennis Schroeder, Josh Richardson. So the kind of core of the team seems like it's intact heading into this stretch of games. And I think that between that and the defense, that definitely provides some room for optimism. I am still definitely concerned about the ceiling of the team if Jason Tatum can't hit his shots reliably. Uh, mm-hmm. So much of our offense really revolves around what he's able to do in terms of execution and half-court scoring. Uh, I would really love for the Celtics to spend more time in the fast break heading into this stretch. That's kind of my big goal for them is get some of those easy transition buckets, which again, really comes down to defense more than anything. So I think there's room for some kind of tempered optimism. I do think this is a really tough stretch, particularly looking at Phoenix and Golden State who are rolling right now. Those are going to be some really hard games. But I think if they come out of this stretch 500 or maybe even a little bit above, I'll be feeling pretty good. You don't have too much to add to that. I mean, we're basically playing every contender or pseudo contender other than Brooklyn, if memory serves. And if as long as we come out of this roughly 500, I think the team's going to be in a really good position. A lot of people might kill me for saying that, but just considering that it's in the middle of the season, they've been, you know, kind of banged up and haven't really played together. Just coming out 500 should not be looked on as a negative thing. So I want to temper expectations going into this. That said, I do think they can do better with a little bit of luck. Yeah, the <laughs> Phoenix, Utah, um, Golden State, and Philly are all in the top 10 in terms of offense. Oh, and Portland. And the top three teams in terms of net rating are Golden State, Utah, and Phoenix. So this is the cream of the crop. I mean, if the Celtics are contenders right now, we will find out. And if they're not right now, that's okay too. But I am kind of happy that this is happening earlier in the season because there will be a lot of time to perhaps make adjustments should this not go so hot. So we'll do predictions in a second. And it looks like the team had turned a corner and, you know, they had strung together a few wins, but then they struggled against the Nets. They struggled against the Spurs. Do you think that's something, nothing? What do you think of kind of their recent blunders heading into that big stretch? Yeah, I don't think I would harp on that too much. I think our team is still kind of trying to find its identity, um, which is, I think that's fair, especially with 
the amount of injuries or illnesses we've dealt with this season. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's still pretty early on. So I think it's fair to kind of give them some slack in that regard. I think that this team has so much potential and I agree that if, you know, Jason gets going on offense, we're going to look like a completely different team. And if there can be consistency on offense, particularly from our guards, then, you know, we're going to be a team to watch out for, for sure. And as far as going up against Golden State and Utah and whatnot, um, I think a lot of our guys rise to the occasion. So, you know, it sometimes with athletes, it kind of depends on who you're playing that night. And I know it shouldn't be that way. But we, I mean, we haven't played them yet. So, like, let's see what our guys come up with and, like, let's see how we do. So, so I am optimistic about this team and we just, we have so much talent. So, as long as we can get a groove and start gelling, I think we'll be good. Yeah. I mean, Celtics fans should be familiar with national TV Rondo and uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. If you count NBA TV, six of these games are going to be nationally televised. So maybe, maybe they, uh, pardon me, maybe they'll do some uh, CS Rise business. Pretty Alex. sure national TV Rondo is just going to be on the bench for this portion, but we'll see. <laughs> maybe it's national TV, Josh Richardson or something. Uh, Justin and Alex, big deal, little deal, no deal, uh, how they played against Brooklyn and San Antonio vis-a-vis this next stretch. I so I was at the Brooklyn game and I watched a good chunk of the San Antonio game from my phone and I have to say the Brooklyn game was really disheartening um just being there in person you could definitely tell that the energy was pretty low and that they like I felt like I was pretty confident that they were going to lose that game midway through the second quarter they just really didn't have it that night um I think there's definitely some some things I noticed in the Brooklyn game that are causes for concern. Now, we do have to throw in the caveat that, you know, Brooklyn has Kevin Durant, who is maybe the yeah. best player in the world <laughs> and has consistently provided problems for Boston, no matter what team he has been on for the better course of a decade. Uh, I see, I, I've seen Kevin Durant now like seven years apart. And in both of those games, he was destructive. So um, <laughs> that's definitely a pretty big qualifier. But what struck me is that the energy level on defense, when teams really start rolling, uh, it definitely starts to slip. And the kind of big takeaway is that it, it also affects the offense. Like if the Celtics bring good energy on defense, they'll find easier buckets. They'll find more shots at the line. They'll find themselves in a better position to win games. But if the defense falters even a little bit, if the defense has gives up like say a 12, 15 point run as they are sometimes prone to doing, that has a pretty dramatic effect on the Celtics ability to get easy buckets because they are still figuring themselves out as a half court team. Uh, if they are getting scored on, if they are giving up offensive rebounds, things like that, then that means that they don't have those same transition opportunities that they can use to capitalize and get easy points on. And it does mean that they have to go into kind of these half court sets that they're, they're still kind of figuring out 
the best way to run those half court sets and the best personnel for those half court sets. Um, there were some nice things. I thought Grant Williams shot the ball really well in the Brooklyn game. Uh, and I thought that at times Jalen Brown looked really strong, although he definitely seemed limited. But uh, there's there's still some real concerns, particularly when it comes to um, rotating over on mid-range jumpers, which LaMarcus Aldridge just absolutely shredded us that night with the mid-range. Mm-hmm. So I would love to see kind of going into this stretch uh, a little bit more attention to detail on those rotations, not giving up as many uh, kind of open looks in the mid-range. Partic- and I know that the mid-range analytically, like you can take it or leave it, but if you're going against mm-hmm. a lethal mid-range shooter like LaMarcus Aldridge, who wants to take that 16-footer, then you've got to know that scouting report and get those rotations nice and tight. And if they do that, I think they'll be in a better spot. But that Brooklyn game was tough. Yeah, I can see it's weighing on your mind. <laughs> also, we're also dealing with Jason Tatum having one of the worst shooting slumps of his career. We thought, you know, the ship was righted, but it came back and it's very disheartening. But these things happen. Jalen Brown is still not quite himself. And they almost clawed their way back in San Antonio, which is a team they have always had trouble with, particularly on San Antonio's home court. So I'm not particularly upset by what I saw, particularly given the fact that they almost turned the Spurs game into a win. It was really gutting at the time. But the fact that they they were able to show the resolve, uh, it's it's definitely a step in the right direction. They just really need to learn how to close out games. And the game against Toronto in particular, that was the strongest fourth quarter of the year, in my opinion. So we Mm -hmm. might, you know, we might be on the cusp of something. I know we've said that before this season. We probably will say it again. But um, with some luck, I think we might actually be. So it's about a quarter of the way through the season, and we're we're dissecting a 10-game stretch. But statistically, it's not that much of a data set. Um, So we have said on this podcast before, Anna, that criticisms or praise of Udoka as new Celtics coach is kind of premature. We just like don't have the data yet. Let's shelve that because it's not how sports podcasting works. Do you think a, that some of the criticisms or praise of Udoka was correct? Is there anything that people missed and what are you looking for in this 10 game stretch from the sideline? Yeah. So I think, you know, bringing a new coach in, you're going to have to give them some time to adjust and get to know the players, get to know the other coaches, get to know the system just to get comfortable. And I would say that based on what I've heard, the guys are really comfortable um, with Ime. And, and so I think that they all really like him. I think they respect him and he's a bit more loosey goosey than Brad Stevens. Brad was very, you know, almost set in his ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when he found a rotation, he liked, he kind of kept to it, stuck to it. And right now Ime's um, experimenting. So I think that we need to give him a chance to kind of like show his worth. Don't jump the gun on it. Um, and, you know, I think he really connects with the players and I think that's something that they appreciate and they feel like they're listened to by him, which is really important. Um, so yeah, I mean, I know, I know we're like a quarter of the way through the season, but at the same time, the team we're seeing right now, isn't going to be the team we see after the all-star break. And I'm just, I'm throwing that out there right now. Like it's just not. And then especially you think of 
people who step up in the playoffs, like even Al, like people used to call him playoff Al in Boston. Like he just mm-hmm. got to another level in the playoffs. I think everyone's going to kind of kick it into high gear. I don't think people should be panicking right now. I think that this team has a really tall ceiling. Um, so I think we need to just kind of believe in that and like believe in Boston and just chill, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> I feel like all the sports radio folks in Boston are not going to take that advice. <laughs> next. No, week. absolutely not. It's funny. <laughs> like people always ask me what my relationship is with them. And um, I still have people like, you know, Lou Merloney and um, Mike Felger. I, and who, whoever they're on their shows with still try to kind of bait me into things or tweet at me or whatever. But you know, what's funny about that is they've totally changed their tune on Al. Mm -hmm. Like they started the whole average Al thing when he was in Boston before. And now that he's like playing so well this year, they're like, Oh, okay. We get it now. And I'm like, yeah, well, this is kind of like who he's always been. He just, stopped being a dick about it so like it's funny how that happens yeah (laughs) right exactly yeah Yeah. so yeah i wish i could be a weather vane professionally uh (laughs) hey if you have celtics radio needs why go anywhere other than clns right alex and justin what are you looking for on this road trip out of the sideline um, for me, so one thing that I talked about in our last episode is that I think Ime is starting to figure out the guys that he really trusts off of the bench. In particular, Grant Williams and Romeo Langford have really stood out to me. Cantor has also played a lot more. And- uh, freedom. Freedom, right. Freedom. Apologies. Mm-hmm. Uh, freedom. Fr- freedom. Ennis Freedom has played a lot more. And frankly, he has played reasonably well in limited spurts, uh, despite my various qualms about his pick and roll defense, which I suppose will just continue indefinitely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Don't hold your breath. Yeah. Um, but I think that kind of figuring out this bench rotation and like which guys you can bring in uh, to give the Celtics steady minutes off of the bench is going to be a really important thing for me. This road trip. Can you rely on Grant and Romeo to come in and provide that needed energy, rebounding, shooting defense, et cetera. Uh, And then the other thing that I'm looking for is juicing the offense a little bit, because I think there's definitely some tweaks I don't, I don't know exactly what they are and it might be something as simple as just like getting healthy and bringing you know Josh Richardson and uh you know Robert Williams back into the fold but I think looking for lineups that can capitalize on floor spacing is going to be really important to me and that's where I really I, I know I've been kind of pushing it for a good chunk of this year but I think the play of Grant Williams, the fact that he's now a 41% three-point shooter and a 50-40-90 guy, he's going to be featuring pretty heavily in a lot of these lineups. And I think putting a lineup out there that has a lot of shooting on the floor, uh, something that I'm definitely looking for for this kind of upcoming stretch. I don't have a problem with that necessarily, so long as it doesn't take precedence over defense, because there is no way that this team is going to come out of this stretch with a winning record unless it plays its best defense of the year. So while I'm not opposed to tinkering with the offense, I definitely want them to 
really use this as an opportunity to lock down their defensive fundamentals and really get them going. And then they can do the tinkering with the offense in January where you play teams above 500 maybe every five games. And to that end, I think that might actually be kind of an inflection point for Al Horford, uh, who, you know, is this kind of two-way guy, has this experience both as a passer, playmaker, rebounder, scorer, and a kind of defensive stalwart. I feel like trying to find kind of unique ways to use Al, whether it means being, you know, a small ball center or playing the four with Robert Williams and kind of running some of these offensive sets through him, particularly at the elbows and the high post. I would really love to see a little bit more of that because I think that will help open up the offense a little bit without compromising the defense as much. Well, dang, that's like the perfect segue. I feel like we have to, we have to go to the Al segment now. Um, I have, I'll come back to what I was going to say. Good job, Alex. So Anna, uh, we said the secret word, we said Horford. Before we talk about double big lineups and stuff like that, why do you think Al looks so fresh? I mean, it, it really does look like the, the Al Horford that we saw many moons ago in Boston, not necessarily the one in Philly, and at times the one in OKC, but what do you think is behind all this? Yeah, I mean, so obviously the extra rest helped mm-hmm. in OKC, and, you know, they didn't want to win, so <laughs> they kind of had to um, keep him a bit contained, and, and I think that worked out in his favor, definitely. But I also think the big thing is he almost had something to prove especially when he went to Philly, it was such a bad experience. Um, the fan base didn't really take to him or the family. And, um, you know, as far as like the chemistry on the team, it just wasn't there and nothing was kind of gelling. And I think that he wants to feel vindicated in a way and just be like, Hey, I'm still like a great player. I'm still here to produce and help my team out. And, you guys talk so much shit about me. So like, let me quietly shut you up. Um, I just did like another interview yesterday and someone was talking about how Al like quietly gets stuff done. And I tell people that when he was in college and he played for the Gators and they won those two national championships with Billy Donovan, um, Billy used to call Al the Godfather because he used to just quietly get stuff done. And um, that's kind of still his role. He knows he's never going to be like, like people idolize, you know, Tatum as like a superstar and stuff, even though Al's been one of the most consistent players this season. Um, and he doesn't really care about that. He's just kind of like at the end of the day, it's about the team win. And that's what my focus is on. And I don't care who gets the credit as long as we win. And Al has done so much over his career that I feel like, you know, the last major thing is an NBA championship. And that's his goal. And he wouldn't have gone back to Boston if he didn't think there was opportunity for that. So I think that's really important to keep in mind as well. First of all, I love that you brought back the Godfather thing. I remember (laughs) a few years ago learning about that and it suits him so well. Although I can't really see him doing anything evil. And I feel like the Godfather, (laughs) you know, of course, has not. Well, it's so, I actually, I guess, I mean, you know him better than I do, obviously, but I'll push back because sometimes he does get animated and it's good to see Mm. this season. I mean, every so often he cans a three and it's clear he's so pumped about it. And so, yeah, 
he's, I mean, yeah, he's the godfather and he is stoic, but no, sometimes he, he gets chesty, he gets loud. And I, I love yeah. that Yeah, especially being around these young guys. I think he's so excited about it. And I remember like when he first signed back, Tatum and Jalen were so excited. Like they were like, oh my God, Al's back. Like they're just kind of, I think they're happy to have that calming presence and just yeah. someone who's been in the league for so long. Um, I think that's really reassuring to them. And I think that's going to be invaluable, especially come the playoffs. And I did want to ask about one thing with regard to Al, which is that I, I have been really happy to have Al back. And I was excited when the Celtics made the trade in the offseason. And so far, he's performed really well. There is one area of concern that I have with regard to Al, which has been that his shooting numbers, particularly from deep this year, have not mm-hmm. been quite what they are. Like, typically, I've thought of Al as a really, like, rock solid like this dude will can a three if you leave him open Mm -hmm. so far his shooting numbers have not quite been up to his usual standards I wanted to ask you and you know feel free to you know tell me that's wrong shut up whatever um that's fine but I I guess I wanted to ask is there something about the offense or about the fit or the new coaching style or the way things are functioning that can explain why Al's shot percentage has dipped a little bit and maybe some reason for optimism that it's going to come back. Yeah, no, I definitely think it's going to come back. I think that um, he's kind of still getting into a groove and figuring out just being comfortable at the three point line again. And So I think that'll definitely come with time by the playoffs. This won't even be a conversation, hopefully fingers crossed, but that's what I'm putting out into the universe. (laughs) Um, And he just, I think he's just going to, I mean, he's going to keep practicing, keep shooting, like doing his best, whatever. Um, But yeah, no. So it has, it has like been lacking a bit, his three point shooting. And he's definitely aware of that. Um, and you know, one game is all it takes to kind of flip that around. It's the same thing for Tatum. Like Tatum has one good game where he just is like, you know, like in his prime, like within himself and, and that that'll flip the whole season. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, I think that that's a possibility for Al and his three point shooting as well. Um, and it's just, it, the other thing is, I don't know if you guys have picked up on it, but there is a lot of hesitation with our offense. It doesn't yeah. flow as well as it should. There's a lot of second guessing. So a guy will catch the ball. He'll be wide open. You know, he thinks about shooting. Now nah, I'm going to pass it. And then there are four more passes. And then one second till the shot clock runs out, you know? So I think that all of our guys collectively need to be a bit more decisive on offense um, and needs to, you know, know what shots they want to take, what they're comfortable taking. Um, and kind of find a group with that as well. I definitely I totally agree. Yeah, yeah I don't think it's fair necessarily either to single Al out because just about everybody on the team who has been a decent to good three-point shooter has struggled. And the two leaders, last time I checked, it could be wrong by now. Um, the last time I checked, the two three-point leaders were Grant Williams and Romeo Langford, which no offense to them because they're still very young players, but they they were not known for being three-point shooters. So I mean, and it's not even something that's even, you know, limited to the Celtics. There is, you know, offense is down, accuracy is down around the league. And, you know, it's probably not the new balls. That's been something that people have been talking about. We even did a podcast about what it might be. Uh, The new style of play is definitely part of it. But, Mm. yeah, there's something going on. And, 
you know, these things tend to work themselves out with time. Uh, you should probably judge a career scoring average above a, a very small sample size as we've seen, we've seen so far. Yeah. I don't want to jump ahead, but are we going to talk about Tatum's shooting this year? Because I have a few things to say about that. Let's do it. Oh, absolutely. Bring it on. Um, so I think, number one, we all know Tatum's a great basketball player. We know he's a great shooter. Um, and that stuff just kind of hasn't come to him yet. I think a big part of that that a lot of people are really glossing over are that we need to look at the bigger picture. So look at the last two years in the entire world. We've all been through a global pandemic. You know, guys were in the bubble last season and, and things were really difficult. Um, and I think mental health is something that a lot of people don't like to discuss and that they, they don't, I don't know if it's because they don't feel comfortable or just because it's not spoken about a lot. But people need to remember that these players are human. And Jason Tatum, you know, he went from being a god in Boston to half of our fan base being like, you suck, you're a piece of shit. Um, and, you know, he's a young guy. So we know he's on social media. We know he's reading that stuff. That is going to deteriorate you mentally over time. And I'm not saying that's happening with Jason because I don't know if it is. But I do know that it's happened to several other guys around the league. Um, and that mental health has been a major factor in that. So what I think like a lot of fans need to do right now, I know I probably sound like you guys are going to be like, oh, she sounds like a freaking hippie or something, but like no. support <laughs> and like love and like, you know what I mean? Like show up for our players so they can show up for us, like have their backs, give them support. And we all know what Jason Tatum's capable of. And I think that he's going to find his rhythm. But I do think that we need to remember that these guys are human. Of course, they're going to go through slumps. Of course, they're going to go through, you know, slow, slow periods. But I think we need to stick with them through that. And I think that that support will definitely pay off. Well, so, Anna, I have to say, you know, if you're looking for an audience that's receptive to mental health needs, we've got three teachers here. I think we're all on, on the same page when it comes to that one. Jason, if you're listening, we still love you, buddy. Keep doing what you're doing. I, I like and they're so add, young. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to add, too, that, you know, these guys are trained professionals and everyone's like, well, you get paid all this money to do whatever, whatever. And. I'm an anthropologist. I'm trained in public health response to pandemics. I wrote a thesis about an H1N1 pandemic in 2009. And I know what people respond to and don't respond to when dealing with things like trying to encourage good public health interventions. And I failed terribly, you know, in my background, in my knowledge because of things that were happening to me personally. And mm -hmm. if it can happen to me, it can happen to anyone else just as easily. Mm -hmm. And just because their paycheck is you know, a lot bigger than mine, but you know, bigger than mine, doesn't necessarily mean they're any less immune to the same stuff that's affecting us. So that really rings true for me, Anna. Yeah. I mean, even, so I, I don't have a follow-up question for you, Anna, but the frame, so, it's kind of obvious, right? Like, just don't be an asshole. But you even framed it as, if you want this guy to succeed, he reads your messages and negative mm -hmm. energy compounds negative energy. So if you are invested in Tatum turning it around, I mean, coach him up a little in your small Twitter or whatever, Insta, like social media way. But yeah. I want to follow up because 
uh, we, we recently learned that Kemba Walker is out of the Knicks rotation and, you know, his story is different than Al's and obviously Al has a, a different ending perhaps to his career, a happier one than maybe Kemba will get to enjoy. But what do you think is a fan's obligation to players, not just when they're on your team and not doing well, but uh, when maybe they're kind of out of the limelight, what is a, a fan's obligation to players who were once doing great for their team that maybe are in a different city or, or a different stage of their career? Yeah, I think that we need to humanize these guys and empathize with them because you don't know what they're going through at home and you don't know what they read online. I mean, I don't have anywhere near as many followers as my brother or his teammates, but the amount of shit that I even get, you know, Mm -hmm. people telling you to kill yourself or people hoping that you get injured or die in a plane crash. It's like, we're better than this. Um, And then when you think about like the age of these guys, they're so young. Like, what were you doing in your early twenties? You know what I mean? And then they're going home at night and whether they want to see it or not, the comments are there. And I think a little positivity goes a long way. Like, even if I'm getting like a shit storm of negative comments, if one person is in there and is like, Hey, I really love what you're doing. I really respect you. Keep going. Don't give up. That means the world. Like, and these guys, it's the same way. And I think we need to remember that we need to have empathy and we need to, you know, try to resonate with them and in that way and just be compassionate. Um, And I'm not saying that you can't criticize them at all. But my thing is people online nowadays, they take it to another level. It's just, it's disrespectful. It doesn't serve anybody. I mean, you look at the girl who got ejected the other day for talking shit about LeBron's son, you know, hoping he dies in a car crash. He had so much restraint. And you know what? As like a black man in America and being in the NBA, he had to, to save his career. Um, But if that were me, I'd be pouring a drink on that girl's head and like going off on her, you know? And, And so with the rest of us, so I think it's, important to put yourself in their shoes as well yeah the fans online are certainly pretty ugly but yeah the the stones it takes i mean you would you and the horfords would know more about courtside fans and what they could be like than maybe we would know but goodness gracious it's it's yeah ugly uh, mm-hmm. All right, let's let's end. We're, we're wrapping up the lab portion. Let's end on a slightly more positive note. Although I think injecting empathy into our sports passion is is pretty positive. But first and foremost, uh, if you were Coach Adoka, what would be your ideal role for Horford? I'll ask all three of you that, and then we're gonna make predictions on this uh, ten game stand. So we're gonna go back to to Al for a moment. So Coach Horford, what is the best role for Al Horford? Yeah. So. I mean, I think that it's great he's in the starting lineup. I think that's where he wants to be. I know a lot of people kind of question that with him coming into the season. He's obviously kind of proved them wrong by now. Um, Al wants to start. He wants to get out there, prove his worth, help the, help the team succeed. Um, so first of all, starting, I think that's a good, good place for him. Um, and also, I mean, as far as power forward or center, he's done both. I think he is more than capable of playing both. Um, The thing about him playing forward when 
power forward when there's a center in is we need the right dynamic for that. I think that's what failed him in Philly is that there was just no chemistry. It wasn't the right dynamic. It wasn't the right player. Like you look at his career in Florida, I'm going way back to his college years again, but he played with Joe Kim Noah. Um, Joachim played center Al, you know, power forward. And they were, they're one of the best college teams in history. Um, so it's all about chemistry. It's all about being able to play with a guy standing next to you. Um, but as far as what Al would prefer, what I think he should play, I think that he's more than capable, um, to do either. Um, it's just going to be, you know, he's going to go where the team needs him to go. And that's going to be that at the end of the day, Al's all about winning. He takes losses really hard. Um, and I think he's, he's really trying to instill a certain kind of mentality with his teammates. Like, Hey, it doesn't matter what your role is. You need to step up and fulfill it because as a collective, at the end of the day, it's all about the team. It's not about one person's stats or one person being a superstar. It's about the team. So at the end of the day, I think he's going to, he's going to play what he's asked to play. And, and I think he'll excel in, in whatever he chooses to do. If you were actually his NBA coach, do you think you would have what it takes to bench him as needed or no, it's family first. Oh, no, I think I would. I think I would, if he needed to be like benched, I think I would do that. Um, luckily he doesn't (laughs) so far. So, um, no, yeah, but no, I think I, I think I could definitely, I could definitely do that. And I do see Al's faults. I think a lot of people think I'm like blind to his faults and stuff. That's not it. It's just that, you know, number one, you don't kick a person when they're down. So if he ever does have a bad game, I'm not going to be like, Oh man, he played like shit, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, and I think it's just about support at the end of the day and, and trying to be positive and be there for your team. And, and we don't want to rep like Philly fans, like their <laughs> fans are known for booing their players and for being negative. And like, it was just, a toxic bad environment like we don't want that i know celtics fans are tough but we're not at that level um so so yeah i think we need to keep that in mind as well cool i love that alex and justin quickly um any disagreement with the best way to use forford i don't have too much of a disagreement i want to leave alex the last word on this one because i know he has some feelings for me it's less important whether Al starts or not so much as he finishes because I trust him to close out games in a way that I don't necessarily trust some of the alternatives who could work in the four position for him. Presumably Mm -hmm. he would be playing that. Uh, I think that Grant Williams, for example, is fine to start games, but you know, sometimes Grant makes boneheaded plays because he's still kind of new to the the league and that's just going to be expected as he builds experience. So for me, I am perfectly okay with experimentation uh, Al is going to need a couple of days off throughout the course of the season. Uh, he may end up, you know, you know, knock on wood, uh, end up with a minor injury or an illness or whatever. It happens to everybody. And in situations like that, you know, you know people moving up and down the roster with Rob's availability, all that stuff, you're going to have opportunities to see some other looks. And so you use those to see what works. If something works really, really well, then maybe you experiment with it for a while. I'm pretty sure that Al is as we have said ad nauseum at this point, uh, he really wants what the, is best for the team. So I don't think it's so critical whether or not he starts. He clearly wants to. We want Hell to be happy. But ultimately, the most important thing for me is A, winning, and B, having him on the floor to close games. 
I, you know, Justin, you set me up to have a big controversial take. I'm sorry to disappoint <laughs> you in saying that I largely agree with everything that you just said. I do think that the Celtics have put themselves in kind of an interesting position where you can plausibly argue that they have seven players who are starter quality in Dennis Schroeder and Grant Williams, both of whom I think have played well above my expectations for them heading into this year. So I do think there are going to be situations where you might want to kind of tinker with the starting lineup and see what you've got there. Ultimately, though, when it matters, I would rather have Al on the floor than not. And that is in the fourth quarter, as you just said, like in closing lineups, in critical situations, you want Al out there, particularly for a young team that really kind of needs that poise and that confidence and that leadership. I guess if I'm putting on my basketball coach hat for a second, two-time champion, by the way, in uh, you know middle school leagues, for what it's worth. Um, but um, if I am putting on my basketball coach uh, hat for a second, the one thing that I really want to see from Al uh, in terms of his role is I would love to see, and I know that this is kind of a big ask given that he is the oldest player on our team, but I would actually kind of like to see him push the break a little bit. I feel like one of the things that I haven't seen as much from Al this year that I know is a really strong facet of his game is his outlet passing. Uh, when Al is able to get rebounds and hit dudes in stride on the break, I would love to see Al basically start to set up situations uh, for fast break offense as much as possible. So I think that means either he gets the rebound or he's one pass away from the rebounder and able mm -hmm. to push the ball up the floor and hit Tatum or Brown or any of these kind of other athletic kind of speedy wings up ahead with uh, kind of hit ahead passes for, uh, you know, layups, dunks, transition offense, et cetera. So that's the big thing I'm looking for. I do have one fourth quarter, um, like something that I'm not like, I I've just, I've had an issue with is that it, regarding Al is in the fourth. Sometimes I think coach waits too long to put him back in. Mm -hmm. And then at that point, the team is playing catch up and the, they can't catch up because they don't have the right momentum because they weren't as steady, you know, um, a little bit earlier on in, in the fourth quarter. So I do think that, that that is an issue. I think they wait a little too long sometimes to put Al back in in the fourth because I think you guys are right. He is a steady presence um, out there. And I, and I think that they do need him in the fourth. I wonder if it's related to all the early overtimes that they were having and playing players, not just Al, but everybody, pretty big minutes to start the season and maybe mm -hmm. some worry about some wear and tear, but I, I agree. I think uh, if somebody needs to get some, some rest rest, then just give them the day off on a game that they should win and get your rest there. Mm -hmm. I think unfortunately, Al is 37. I think I have that right. And 35. somehow 35, 35. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I definitely don't have that right then, um, but he's still <laughs> in better condition and better health than Rob Williams somehow. So that's an interesting wrinkle. All right. Uh, Anna, first and foremost, plug your podcast before we uh, we do predictions. Yeah, so um, I am. You can find me on the Horford Happy Hour podcast uh, with the CLNS Media Network out of Boston. I'm on all platforms for podcasting, um, so iTunes, Spotify, whatever. So um, the my next season's coming up, and and I don't know if you guys know who Kwani Lunis is, but she's going to be. 
um, kind of my co-host for next season. So, um, so that'll be great. Um, so yeah, definitely check it out. All right. Fantastic. So thanks for stopping by before we kind of talk about some off the court stuff, but before we cut you loose, let's, let's make predictions about this 10 game stretch. So, uh, for anyone who needs a reminder, it starts Wednesday night against Philly, and then it's at Utah, at Portland, at the Lakers, at the Clippers, at the Suns, and then at home for Bucks, Golden State, and New York Knicks, and back with the Sixers. So that's 10 games against 10 good teams. The Celtics are 11-10, and 10, and I'll go to you first. After these 10 games, what will the Celtics' record be? Yeah, um, I think, to be fair, I want to say 5-5. Five and five. Um, if I'm, safe. if I'm being, yeah, if I'm being optimistic, six or six or seven, maybe. Um, and it oh, all I depends. It, it all depends on, on where we're at our groove and, and how the team's gelling, how tired they are, you know, all that stuff. So, um, if I'm being realistic, five and five, <laughs> if I'm being optimistic, you know, probably six and four, um, kind of around there. Okay. Alex. I like five and five as well. I think I have exactly the ones specifically that I, I feel like pretty confident about. I think the Celtics can beat Portland. I think they can beat the Lakers. I think they can beat New York. I think they can split with Philly. And I think that they can win one of those games against Utah, Phoenix, Milwaukee, Golden State, and the Clippers. I don't know which one yet, but I feel reasonably confident that they can take one of those. I think Golden State and Phoenix and Milwaukee are the three that strike me as like, these are going to be the hardest games on this schedule. Golden State is rolling right now. They might be the best team in the league. Uh, Phoenix, similarly, second in the Western Conference. Devin Booker has been absolutely on fire lately. And, uh, you know, Milwaukee, you've got the reigning champ, Giannis Antetokounmpo, who, for my money, I, I just think he's borderline unguardable when he's peaking. So I like five and five. That makes sense to me. Justin? With the caveat that a three and seven record would not be as bad as some people would freak out if it happens, I'm going to go positive and say seven and three, just because. Just well, I like I love, that. I love that. Mm. I was about to be such a rain cloud. I don't really want to do that anymore. Um, the Celtics have the fifth worst first quarter net rating and the second worst fourth quarter net rating and a tough Western conference road trip looms large in my mind. Um, let's say eight and two, why not? <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> you hear if you're first, the Celtics are just going to blow the barn doors off the Western conference. Screw it. So that's going to, Cam, that's going to put them at 19 and 12. That's pretty good. I'll take 19 and 12. Yeah, good job. I'll take that. That was easy. I'm, I'm so happy for them. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the pod once again. Uh, great to hear from you. And um, we'll see you down the line. Best of luck with the new season. And I'm sure we'll, we'll have you back here sooner rather than later. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me and have a happy holiday season. Yeah. Right back at you. Thanks, Anna. Thank you. All right. Thanks again, Anna Horford, for stopping by. Friend of the pod, friend of the CLNS Media Network. And Alex, best of luck at your upcoming shows in Somerville. Go check out Divine Sweater. And for anyone who now wants to hear me, Alex, and Justin put on our teacher hats and talk about Ennis Cantor Freedom, we're going to do that. And if that 
news story has run its course, you can go ahead and hit like and subscribe to this podcast, but then you can log off because uh, we're probably done talking X's and O's and instead we're talking to Tuckers and Carlson's. And I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, fuck. Sorry. Uh, sorry that I it's used okay. that word. I, I, I'm gonna, <laughs> it's okay. It warrants. It warrants. Mm. All right. Uh, let, me, uh, let me set the table and say that I off air and on air have said of Ennis Cantor, hey, if you're part of the Middle Eastern diaspora, you make friends in the U.S. government trying to do what you need to do. If you have a tough political agenda, you just need powerful allies. And I felt okay with that, even though as an Iranian American, I don't like you, John Bolton. I might use the F word again. I don't like you so much. Uh, And you know what? It's cool to become a U.S. citizen. I'm very happy for Ennis. I don't want to sour that moment. It's big for him. It's big for his family. It's big for the team. However, I don't think that for a second I want to make excuses for the Tucker Carlson just going on that show, but also what he said. And I'll switch to you, Alex, because you you and you told me about this horrible moment in American yeah. history. Well, it's just it's really disappointing. And you know, I have I have myself had some questions about and and I don't I don't want to cast any aspersions here. I've had some questions about kind of what the end goal of uh, Ennis's activism has been here, uh, considering that he is increasingly aligning himself with uh, conservative figures in American media, particularly figures that have promoted uh, anti-Chinese sentiments. Uh, I think that it's now fair to wonder what exactly the plan is here, because here's the thing, Ennis, if you're listening, going on Tucker Carlson is a direct signal to white nationalists, to arch fascists, and to all sorts of unsavory people that you have common cause with them. And I don't know if you agree with these people. I don't want to speculate to that end, but this is not good company to be in. And I, you know, frankly don't care if you disagree with that. Um, Tucker Carlson is, and Tucker, if you're listening to, debate me, bitch. Um, He is a loathsome, terrible human being who promotes misogyny, racism, xenophobia, white supremacy, the works, the gamut, etc. So Ennis, if you're trying to accomplish what is ostensibly a pretty reasonable and noble goal of speaking out on behalf of Muslim minorities all, all across the globe, I support that and I'm happy for you to do that. But Going on Tucker Carlson and then particularly saying the phrase that and I'm, I'm kind of quoting here um, that Americans effectively should shut up and not criticize their own government is really tough coming from a guy who I saw at the Black Lives Matter protests, walking with other marchers, walking with people protesting systemic racism and injustice. I was there, you were there, I saw you, you're fucking seven feet tall, dude. It was impossible to miss you. (laughs) And so to go on Tucker Carlson and tell people to basically shut up and stop criticizing the government because, you know, they're this is the freest, greatest country in the world or whatever, really was a disappointing and upsetting moment for me as a Celtics fan and just as a person, frankly. I I want to uh, say that it is not necessarily bad politics to appear on the Tucker Carlson show or on Fox 
news in general, but there's a way to do it, right? And one of our not so long ago guests, Andy Slavitt, talked about that. And I agree that it's important to have certain words heard by certain audiences who might never otherwise hear them. But you shouldn't pander to get that access. If your mm -hmm. words are not good enough to, to get what you need done, then maybe you should recalibrate the utility of those appearance, appearances. You, I think they still would have had him on the show, and I think he could have said and done some things that would have supported the causes that he so strongly believes in. I'm not sure whether that was just something set off the cuff that he didn't think through, or if it was an intentional strategy to kind of win followers on both sides of the political aisle. He had some comments today's press conference, uh, post-practice press conference, that kind of seemed to be hinting at that possibility. But, you know, one of the great things about freedom is that it has a lot of responsibility. And when you say things to free people with your freedom, they have the right to associate you to with certain belief systems, even if you don't believe them because of, you know, the way you represent yourself. And they have the ability to reject you and your causes, which you can damage with some of those commentary that we heard him make. So whether it was a one-time thing, an unfortunate mistake, or something that he really, really believes, uh, if he really does want to see human rights advanced and wants to use his platform to do it, it's not an easy job. And I hope he's a little more careful in the future with how he chooses to do that. Yeah, I really like the suggestion that Cantor could use different uh, media outlets to advance kind of a coherent cause and a coherent message and I can understand being a little too exuberant and maybe playing into what is a very specific brand that Tucker Carlson brings. Uh, it is worth noting that Tucker Carlson and Fox News legally fought off defamation lawsuits by saying that no reasonable viewer would take Tucker Carlson seriously. So their own legal defense is that no reasonable people watch this show. So even, uh, you know, it cuts both ways. And I, I think I'm going high of mind and I don't think Ennis Cantor is some sort of like media genius, but it is the number one cable news program in the United States by like a disgusting, horrible margin. So credit where credit is due. Tucker found, I mean, Tucker, Ennis found the biggest audience to have a weird freedom freak out. I don't think he under, understood really what he was saying. And I think it's reasonable that he is an athlete and not, you know, a politician or a diplomat or an orator so maybe we had didn't really think through what he was going to say but yeah i i find it really disappointing to alex i think your point was the most salient and most important which is not only does it contradict Cantor's own uh advocacy uh for not just black lives matter and things like that but just in the world but i also think that his own teammates it's a real unnecessary poo-pooing of what it means to be in this country. I mean, none of us are black, but if I was an American living the black experience, I think I'd be pretty annoyed if I was told by a teammate by way of Tucker Carlson that all you've ever known is freedom and you should only enjoy freedom. I just don't think that that is grounded in any sort of reality, nor is it particularly constructive. So yeah, that um, it's cute. Ennis Cantor kind of has, I mean, Ennis Freedom has a kind of a nice ring to it. It's, it's not 
out of bounds for NBA players to change their names to peace oriented names, I suppose. And I'm sure plenty of people, when they become U.S. citizens, fill some paperwork out and change their name. But it, it's fine to be a conservative, of course. It's fine to go on certain conservative news programs, of course. But like, sorry, Tucker Carlson sucks, and you didn't use that to your advantage, Dennis. So now we're just circling the drain, but it feels kind of good. Alex, do you got anything you want to say? Just make better choices, man. That's all podcast. I to say. And, believe uh, in you. Do better. Yeah. And, and the only other thing that I want to say to that effect is um, the reason that Ennis Cantor has been benched, and I know I have to repeat <laughs> this ad nauseum, has literally nothing to do with his politics. So uh, for anybody who potentially freaks out on Twitter when Ennis Cantor gets benched over the course of this brutal 10-game uh, stretch that we're coming up on, for anybody who freaks out about, oh, Ime's benching him because he went on Tucker Carlson. No, he's not. Ime literally couldn't care less. He will bench him for basketball reasons and basketball reasons only. That's all I have left. Yeah, I'm out of steam too, but I, I actually agreed with Ennis about the LeBron stuff. I just disagree with all of the execution. And it's I tell my students this all the time. It's great if you have good information but if people can't read it or it comes across as weird it's not going to work so i would ennis hire yourself a media consultant because it seems like you're flying blind buddy is there any history of forcing someone into being an activist by shaming them i don't think i can think of a single example and i mean it's as an extension of the public health stuff i mentioned earlier shame is a really poor motivator you know, if you want to, like for people, if you want to use shame directed at Nike, directed at executives in the role as executives for Nike, LeBron may make all the decisions for the Lakers, but he's not making any for Nike. Yeah, and certainly, yeah, we, what a stupid storyline. Um, there's a great Uyghur restaurant in Brookline that you should uh, patronize if you're listening in the Boston area. And, uh, yeah, and it's at a point, but goodness gracious, did he fumble the delivery. I hope we never talk about this again. Uh, thanks, everyone, if you're still, for the one person still listening. Uh, I'll see you in Somerville next Thursday at the Divine Sweater Beef Show. And everyone else, thanks for listening to the podcast. The tournament is where Cinderella stories begin, and big wins happen on the biggest stage. With Gambit DC, you could make your Cinderella story a reality. Take advantage of new player bonuses online and in-app, or play in person for boosted parlays. You can bet on all 63 games, even if your bracket's busted, and play from the edge of your seat with exciting in-game bets. Make your bets now with Gambit DC. Terms and conditions apply. Please play responsibly.